I'm Piercy Janewell, and you're listening to Unsubscribed. Every episode, I sit down with business leaders to help you question everything you thought you knew about marketing. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Now, on to this episode. My guest today is Robert Baldwin. Rob is a staple in the Ottawa sales scene. He's built some of the top performing business development organizations at companies like Halogen, Pronto Forms, and now at Canaxis. He's mentored and helped hundreds of salespeople over his career and given many of them the opportunity of their first sales jobs. He's also someone who's always willing to help and lend a hand and also educate others with his knowledge. I've learned a lot from Rob over the years, and I think you will too. So Rob, welcome to the Unsubscribe podcast. How are you doing? Thanks, Pierce. Doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to our chat here. And my first question, I, I've heard from people who know you that sales is your passion. Where do you think that comes from? Oh, I, I don't know if, if sales is my passion as much as helping people um, is, is my passion. And um, the two are inextricably linked. And I, I owe that to my first mentor in sales, a gentleman by the name of Bud Offinger, who I worked with in New York when I, when I started my sales career, who explained that to me, right? If, if you're not helping people, then you're in this for the wrong reasons. Um, it's pretty easy to get attracted to the money that's available and commission plans and all those kinds of things. But that's short-lived, I think, unless you actually have a view towards, um, you know, what your product is really intended to do, which is to make lives easier, better, you know, more stable for people. Um, I've never found a, a product that, I, that I've sold that wasn't capable of doing one of those things, at least, for, for the people who buy it. So, that's more my passion is is helping than than selling anything and uh, understanding the difference between the two. That's awesome. And in your definition, what exactly is business development? Business development, oh, wow, it's it's hard to define because it's continuously evolving. Um, there was a time, believe it or not, when salespeople did all of their own prospecting. There, there was no such thing as, as business development. It's, it's gone through so many names in its evolution as well. So calling it business development is a fairly modern thing. But, but to take it back to the, um, the original, um, whatever you want to call it, account development or sales development or, or whatever it was, business development eventually, um, companies realized that there was only a, a certain amount of hours that a salesperson could focus on selling in a day and that successful prospecting took up as, as many hours of the day as, as being able to complete your selling activities. Um, so companies originally went to outsource models where they would pay call centers to make hundreds of calls you know, on, on their behalf and book appointments for the salespeople to uh, to follow up on um, and and took away their responsibility for prospecting um, and and just had meetings to attend so that they could spend their time on the deals that they had you know I think it's evolved from that meeting booking service to a critical critical element of pipeline building and pipeline responsibility within an organization um, most business development organizations now are are held to a pipeline number that they will deliver for the organization and you know properly set up they will be held to a level of pipeline quality as well so i think it's evolved from a, a meeting booking service in its original intent um, to save people sales time to a business critical um, pipeline development organization that is now critical in most larger organizations for sure yeah, absolutely agree on that one. I mean, you've built several teams over the years and have had a ton of exposure to this. In your opinion, what are the best business development teams doing differently? 
Um, you know, I think it's it's in that evolution as well. I think there was a there was a point where highly metricized activity based um, give people a script kind of organizations were enough to get the job done, right? I think most business development teams started out as, you know, technically whoever made the most calls and sent the most emails <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. That was that was good enough to be the best. Um, anymore, I, I think that's completely changed. I think there's there's a lot to this evolution of 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 uh, business development, if you will. But what what I would say the best teams are doing now more than others is highly personalized research based um, outreach that is that is showing to go back to my original reason for being in sales showing that you can help in an initial phone call or an initial email as opposed to anything that's scripted or just blasted out in a, in a marketing way um, one of the things I tell my current team is marketing can do marketing and, and they do it very, very well. You should differentiate yourself from, from that type of messaging um, and, and try to show that you're, you're reaching out to help organizations solve a business problem or solve that particular individual's problem that you found that they stated on, on LinkedIn or, or on the web somewhere in a blog. Um, it, it, one of the terms I've been using recently, other than than helping people as well, is using the opposite of the obvious. Um, it's kind of a mantra for me this year is, you know, at Canaxis, we're in the supply chain business. If you were to reach out to our prospects and say, did you know the supply chains are in a state of crisis? Um, the entire world knows supply chains are in a state of crisis. Right. Um, you need the opposite of that. You need the opposite of the obvious. In, in your messaging that makes the ultimate response you can ever get from a prospect is, hey, you know what? I didn't know that, or I never thought of it that way, or that's a great idea. Um, if you can get that out of a prospect in the first couple sentences of your email or even the collateral that you share, um, you've done your job and you've established some form of credibility that's going to um, link to a deeper conversation and you know not to go on too much about this but i think the other thing um that that successful business development teams are doing right now is that uh, that ability to hold that first meeting um almost to the extent that an ae would be able to um it used to be like i said getting on the phone and booking a meeting i think now it's technically having a, a really good business conversation about the problems that that prospect and their company are, are experiencing and having that ability to have that conversation as opposed to, I don't know anything about our solution. I just need you to talk to an account executive. Yeah. Um, not enough anymore. Prospects are too busy for that. Yeah, absolutely. We we spoke about three months ago just around building Nac's business development team. And I thought it was really interesting, the two strategies that that seem to be uh, com most common in today's companies when it comes to building BDR teams. Can you maybe expand for everyone what those two might look like and maybe why one company would pick one or the other? Yeah. And before I, I define the two that I think are out there, I, I would say neither one is wrong. So um, you, can, you can go either way. You just have to face different realities when you, when you make a decision. I think the first um, way of, of building a BD team is very much a, a growth-oriented strategy um, when you're looking internally at the team. So um, the, the typical structure of this is you go out and hire new grads, people who are starting their career in sales. They're just, they're junior people. Um, typically, you know, um, you, you bring these people in with a career path as well. So you're, you're helping to develop them, you're training them, you're, um, you know, bringing all kinds of resources into their um, career development to help them improve and, and get better because ultimately they will be a pass through 
to an account executive job, a customer success job, if they're highly technical, even a, a technical expert job. But really, it's a transitionary role where you're paying less um, for the resources, you're training them, um, and you're allowing them to, you know, um, gain some experience while building pipeline for you. Um, the reality of that structure, however, is that you will constantly be hiring. Um, the pass through on that of people, you know, growing out, out of the job and, and wanting to move into account executive roles is, is a natural progression for them. So um, you will be backfilling constantly. Um, so be prepared to hire, right? Just be prepared to um, keep a bench and keep people going through that system. Um, the second way, which is the way we're doing it now, is um, to treat BD as a destination and, and not as a path through, a pass through. And um, in, in that model, BD becomes a place where people can make a, a really good living being professional prospectors. So you, you pay them very well. You typically hire people with five to six years experience in business development um, who are capable of performing AE roles. And um, you make it good enough for them that, that, that they don't want to move on and they, they don't want to leave. The, the disadvantages of that model is it's a much more expensive model. Um, you, you're going to have to pay a lot more in both base and commission to, to that type of talent to be able to keep it in um, the, the organization. Um, the other thing when I get into metrics between the two models, because that's a different thing as well, I would say the first model with the pass-through becomes a highly metricized environment where you are measuring um, a lot of things beyond results. Um, the second model, I would say you don't have to manage those metrics as closely because you can focus just on results and you've got experienced people who know how to get the results. So you, you end up creating a more entrepreneurial environment, I would say, with the second model and a, a more junior you know, metrics-based environment with the first model. Um, hopefully that kind of explains the, the two. I'm, I'm sure there are many other, you know, um, ways to do it as well, but those are the two that I'm most familiar with. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that. I mean, you, you've, uh, you know, mentored and, and taught many BDRs over the years. If you look at the most successful BDRs, is there any trends in, in terms of personalities or motivators that that you've observed? Yeah, um, I think it goes back to, um, like I said, about wanting wanting to help people, but but a little bit more than that. Um, I think I think what what drives that ability to ultimately help people is uh, are, are people who are genuinely curious, um, people who are really want to find out more about other people and what they do and what their company does and, and what kind of challenges they face. Um, I've, I've got a story. One of my mentors, when, when I started, um, when I asked him what, success in sales looked at, he said, it's, it's just curiosity, right? It's just that ability to ask the right questions and really understand the shoes that another person is walking in from those questions. And um, I went out and, you know, starting my sales career, I, I mentored him or shadowed him and started writing down his questions. Um, and then went out and uh, and uh, a couple of my own meetings. And the first, I started asking the questions uh, that he would ask. And um, it was funny, the, the response to that was just, you could tell people weren't trusting. They were wondering what kind of scenario they got themselves into by accepting a meeting with me. <laughs> and I remember going back to him and saying, this doesn't work. I was curious, I was, he said, what did you do? I said, I asked your question. He said, okay, were you being curious or were you just trying to follow a formula? And I said, well, now you think of it that way. I was trying to follow a formula, right? It, it seems to work for you. He says, that's it. It works for me. Um, you need to find your own way to, to get this done. And that's what he meant by genuine. Um, and that's what I mean by genuine. You, you can be curious, but you have to genuinely be curious. You can't, you can't fake it. 
Um, there's lists of questions that nobody wants to be asks, asked, sorry. And then there are um, genuine questions that come out of a conversation. Those people who are most successful in BD, in my opinion, are those who have that kind of inquisitive conversation with you. And you can typically spot it in an interview very easily. Does the BD that you're interviewing take over the interview? Um, and if they do, you've got a good one in front because they will be more curious about what you're offering them than you are about what they're offering you. And it almost becomes a contest of who can ask the best questions. So, you know, I think that's, that's awesome. I think that's the true differentiator. Um, you know, the other ones are all standard. It's who works hard, who's dedicated, who's devoted, who really wants to do the job. You know, um, people who are aware of what they want to do in their career and their lives are always more successful, I think. But I don't know if you can um, if you can do it without that genuine curiosity, at least in what we do. Yeah, that's great. Um, switching gears a little bit, you know, I think to have a good, a great BDR team, having a great leader leader on that team is super important as well. I know a lot of your past uh, employees actually call you more than a, a boss or a manager or a leader, but a mentor. And so from a leadership perspective, I'd love to know how do you, what advice can you give to managers out there who I, you know, want to become more than a manager to their people? Yeah, um, that's that's a tough question. It, it really is because I've had so many different managers who have done it differently. So the only thing I could tell you, Pierce, is my my way, as opposed to what might be some other leader's way. Um, and really, um, it, it again comes down to that desire to help, right? Um, I don't think there's there's a lot of difference between somebody who's successful in sales and somebody who's successful in managing. Um, I think you're ultimately trying to help people get to a better place and a, a better um, world than they have right now with, with your product. And your product becomes your knowledge. Um, as a leader, hopefully you've had the experience of, of working in the field that you're managing in and, you know, if not, that um, you, you go out and, you know, acquire that knowledge because I think it's vital um, so that you actually can um, help people become, you know, take that next step in their careers and their, their development. Or, you know, some of the most successful people I've, I've managed don't want that development. They just want to get better at what they do as well. It doesn't have to be a career thing. Um, but ultimately behind that is the same thing as I would say in sales as well as treating people like, like people and everybody like an individual. Um, I don't believe there is a, a cookie cutter out there that, that um, uh, fits any, you know, typical way that, that you manage or that anybody wants to be treated. I think you really have to get to know the individuals on your team, what drives them, what they want, what they're looking for out of this job, because, you know, it's never the only job they're going to have um, and understanding that and, and, and treating them on that basis, as opposed to I've got this, you know, what I meant by cookie cutter, I've got this formula that applies to everybody. No, um, I've, I've never found that. I don't know if I'd want it because I, I certainly wouldn't want to be treated like just a, you know, a, a cog in that wheel, if you will. I know I'm using ridiculous analogies right now, but I wouldn't want to be treated as if I was just a piece of a formula. Um, you know, I think you have to have a better understanding of your people than that. And um, ultimately, it, it you know, it, it comes down to your willingness to put in the work. I think that, that that requires formulas are easy, no doubt, right? You can just execute them and not even think about it. Just let it run like a program, right? But um, getting to know people is, is never that easy, but it's worth in my mind, every every minute you put into it. Definitely. I think um, in in business development, rejection is just part of, of the game, right? Like you're going to yeah. get 
more no's than yeses. I'm sure with with your teams, it's something that that must come up. How do you help coach your team members who might be, you know, having a bad week or haven't got a yes in a little while? Yeah. The the first thing on it is um, that, that I default to, again, me more than what I would, you know, probably advise other people to this as well. But I think rejection feels personal, right? It absolutely feels personal, um, whether it is or not. And in our world, it very rarely is personal. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, <laughs> sometimes it is personal. You've made a mistake. You've stepped out of line. You've done some stuff, something you haven't done. But most of the time, it's just, you know, what? I don't like your idea or um, and I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I one of the most successful techniques right now is um, is giving people um, the, the ability to, to say no quickly. So um, on, on cold calls. Um, one of the things we're, we're doing right now or trying, and it's a technique we've learned from, a, from another trainer who's used it quite successfully, is um, this is a cold call. W- would you like to hang up now or, or could I have 30 seconds to explain why I'm calling you specifically? And go for the no right out of the gate as opposed to taking a three-minute window to pitch to them and then having them say no or hang up uh, along the way. So getting comfortable with that no is important right so so two things there first of all don't take it personally secondly go for the no but um one of the things you you said was having a bad week and getting nothing but no's i think then you have to look at um changing what you're doing trying a different approach getting outside of your comfort zone um the one thing i can tell you about bd is what works today will not work a week from now um, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. Um, and you need to change with it. You need to be flexible enough to try something different because um, there is no magic formula. It, it's funny. One of the things that one of my pet peeves in the industry is everybody's got a book. Everybody's got a book on the magic formula of what you have to do to be successful in BD, right? The challenger sale, the, you know, just go out and ask somebody for the best person to talk to they're infinite i probably have a supply of them on my shelf back here but it's going to change it's absolutely going to change um and you need to be willing to try something different that may be outside of your comfort zone i can tell you my first caller who hopped on the phone to do that this is a cold call would you like to hang up was not comfortable saying that Mm -hmm. Um, but when they started doing it on multiple calls, they found a great response. They found people chuckling at it even. And yeah. <laughs> that, that made them comfortable in, in doing. But within a month, everybody will have picked up on that technique and you're, you're going to have to change that as well. So yeah. um, constantly be evolving and willing to change and, and do what you, you can do to um, get past that initial no. Sorry, I'm going, you know, a wide circle around your no question here, but, um, you know, get past that initial no, because what it really is, is no, I don't appreciate you interrupting my day more often than it is. No, I'm not interested in improving our company or no, I'm not interested in a great idea about what you could do to help me. It's it's always no, you're trying to sell me something. No, you interrupted my day. No, I don't have time to talk. Um, how do you get past that to a true objection, which is, no, we've got that problem solved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, long, long story, but but ultimately getting comfortable with it, but understanding what it is and trying to drive to what a real no is, which is an objection to your idea, which it very rarely is out of the gate. Yeah, that's super helpful. I'd love your opinion on sort of um, inbound and outbound uh, and and who is working those different leads. Um, because one thing that that at least I've had a bit of experience with is that if you get uh, someone doing a lot of inbound, it becomes harder for them to go back and do the outbound because inbound 
you know, it can be an easier conversation typically. So I'm, I'm just curious, like how you look at that and is, is it separate teams? I know a lot of companies are setting up like an SDR team that does uh, inbound leads and then the BDR team does outbound. I, I'd love just your perspective on that. Yeah, yeah. So my first experience in doing this, it was kind of a, a, a fluke in, in a way, but um, so so the first BD team that I, that I ever built, I'd gone from leading a sales team to being asked to uh, build this team that did nothing but prospecting. So the first thing I did was I went in and looked at their results. They had it. They had a team there of, of four people, um, and they weren't happy with the success of of that. They didn't feel like they were getting enough true addition to their pipeline from it. So um, I had the ability, at least going in, not completely blind, to look at their results. And the one common thing that stood out for the four people is eighty percent of what they were getting was inbound um and i i made the decision at that point to to create a position at that organization called an inbound lead specialist that was at least their internal title they were a business development representative to the prospects but um internally they were an inbound lead specialist so i did separate all the inbound um towards this one role which was to do nothing but inbound um and then created a new role for for the four existing people to um, to do nothing but outbound. I didn't hurt their compensation. I just changed the compensation plan to what they had to do to be successful. The numbers were smaller in outbound than they were in inbound, but we just upgrade or um, increase the amount paid per unit, right? And came up with a reasonable expectation of that. So I, I do think, Pierce, like you said, that if somebody has inbound, there is a tendency for people to say it's going to come in inbound anyway anyway so why should i really focus on on the outbound side when you have a hundred percent of your commission depending upon outbound activity it's a completely different perspective uh, what i learned from that though was um inbound is incredibly critical so you should never um in my opinion have an inbound lead specialist who is you know, anything less than one of your best BDRs. Um, I think one of the mistakes I made out of the gate was looking at that as a more junior role and then the outbound as a more senior role. Um, you got to consider who you have talking to your hottest leads. Um, and you probably want somebody who's, who's one of your best to be able to actually um, do the critical job of, of truly qualifying inbound and disqualifying inbound as well. Um, nothing's more inefficient in your sales process than, than deals that aren't deals that come to you and look good um, that aren't actually really good deals because you've missed um, some of the some of the essential qualification that you need to do uh, on those inbound leads. It's pretty easy to get excited about it, right? Everybody's done a good job and this company's come to our website and and they want to buy our stuff. Well, do they even know what your stuff is? Right? <laughs> um, and are are they just going to create something in your in your pipeline that it's going to waste everybody's time? Um, so definitely agree on splitting the two teams. Um, from my experience, I would say don't discount the experience level required on the inbound side. It's it's absolutely critical to get that right as well, um, and not just say, well, it's an easier job. Well, I don't know if it is. It's uh, it's got a lot of requirements. <clears throat> That's a great point. Um, kind of digging into that a little bit more. I, I'd love to talk kind of about, you know, BD's relationship with sales and marketing. And, you know, we have a lot of marketers in our audience. So yeah. I'd love to know, you know, is what are the best marketing teams doing to help their BDRs? It's funny, I think that that begs another question is where BDRs are aligned in an organization, right? Um, so <laughs> I'll kind of phrase this or put this answer in a bit of a story. Um, prior to Conaxis, I had never worked in a marketing department 
And um, I have to be honest when I have a career in sales, right? Lifelong career in sales. And, and when I got interviewed by the CMO, um, I was thinking, how is this going to work? I'm, I'm so used to working in a sales department where, you know, our, our view of marketing was typically more leads, more leads, more leads, just, just get us more leads um, and get us better leads, right? Um, and I think in the sales department, that was my view of, of marketing. Um, since I've been here now, and it's been three years of working in the marketing department directly, um, it has been a completely different relationship where we have the ability now to have direct influence over exactly what is happening and providing direct feedback, you know, at CMO level about the results of the BDR team and why they are and why they are not um, getting what we expect. And, and that ability to influence marketing beyond um beyond just give us more and give us better has, has been the best here over, over everywhere else that I ever worked with BD reporting up into marketing. But your question was, what's marketing doing? Um, listening, right? Absolutely. And um, providing a lot more information. We have regular meetings now with marketing and BD, continual conversation between the two groups to say, hey, you know what, this really worked in this instance. And, and what I needed in this instance was something a little bit shorter and, and a little bit more catchy. And that kind of communication working between your prospectors and your and your marketing department has absolutely made a difference here. Um, so my recommendation, and I know it surprised a lot of people, is that BD reports directly into that marketing channel so that that kind of conversation can happen and continually evolve the type of things you're using in your prospecting efforts. Um, I don't think it would have happened otherwise. It's uh, the divide between the two groups is often fairly great, right? You're, you're um, measured in different ways. You're, you're rewarded and you're compensated in different ways. Um, now our marketing department is directly responsible for the pipeline number, right? The BD team is part of the marketing department. So part of the marketing department's metrics include the actual pipeline number. How do we get there together as opposed to, yeah. you know, that other department isn't giving us enough, so we're never going to get there. Well, that's my yeah. department now. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Very a different. great alignment driver for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This one's a little bit more tactical, but just uh, I'd love to know, like, how are you actually reaching people now? You know, is it through email, phone, LinkedIn, carrier pigeons? What you know, what does that look like right yeah. now? And, and where are you having the most success? <laughs> uh, I'll put this behind the caveat that it's likely to change in another week. But um Believe it or not, phone right now is is probably the number one um, channel for us. If you, if you look at what happened during the pandemic and is still happening during the pandemic, um, I think it actually changed that recently. Where um, think about it in a couple ways. So the pandemic happens and everybody transitioned to working from home. So BDs and AEs are suddenly, you know, have more time because they're not traveling. There's no face-to-face meetings. There's nothing like that. And, and everybody's, you know, opinion of what was working at that point was email. So um, BDs were sending more emails. AEs were suddenly doing their own prospecting and sending more emails. I swear the email channels um, became, at least, I, I don't think it had as much of an impact for marketing, but BDs were we're going over the top on email. Um, the other reason for that was calling into offices and reception and everything was out of the gate. Nobody was in their office. So why, why bother spending time on the phone? Um, I think it created such an aversion to, to email that um, and, and people not getting phone calls um, shifted it back to 
the phone working over the past two months or three months where people finally have their phones forwarded. They've had them forwarded for a long time, but they weren't ringing because everybody given up on calling. Now it's, it's rare to get a phone call now. Um, and when you do, I think the chances of picking it up are, are more likely. Um, now add to that LinkedIn is, is critical, absolutely critical. Um, any social that you can follow is absolutely critical to get a sense, not of, not of, you know, a spooky Facebook, you know, poking around or anything like that, but to get a sense of who, uh, who a person is and what they care about, you know, you, you want to know that as well. So LinkedIn and any social, um, and reaching out that way is, is critical as well. Um, but also one of the things I still believe in is handwritten mail. Um, actually putting a postage stamp on something and sending it to somebody as long as it's well-crafted um, and, and has that kind of messaging that I mentioned before that can make a prospect say, I didn't know that, or, you know, thanks. That, that's a point that, that really makes sense. Something like that. Um, take the time to handwrite and, and send it out as opposed to using a computer program to handwrite. Um, that's also very, you know, uh, not genuine, back to the whole genuine word, um, those still get responses. It's just you can't do as many of them. But one of the things I, I tell my team um, that scares a lot of executives, I think, is I'd, I'd rather you do one thing a day and do it incredibly well than 100 things a day and do them generically. Um, I just take the time. Take the time to do it right. And if that means handwriting, because you've tried every other avenue, then go ahead and do it. Amazing. Um, so a bit more of a tactical one here as well. What What's in your tech stack for, you know, the tools that, that a BDR needs? Oh, that, that changes every week as well. It seems that's the mantra of this whole thing, right? There's always newer and better and, and um, you know, uh, more effective stuff that's out there. I would say, you know, without naming names um a good intent platform is is probably one of the most critical pieces you can have now um something that really does a good job of going out there and understanding who is involved in research in the marketplace and where they may be at their buying stage or their journey uh, based on how much activity they're showing in the market that's essentially what a good intent platform will show you the reason for that is um, efficiency, right? If you're gonna do one thing a day, you know, and you're gonna do it the best that you can, shouldn't you spend that on the prospect who's most likely to be involved in some kind of buying stage, right? Um, so that intent platform is key. Um, some type of lead scoring, absolutely. Some kind, some kind of ability to understand internally how people are responding to your marketing and what they're doing when they get it, um, how deep they're going with it, you know, understanding the audience from the inside to, to know that when you have a bucket of leads, which leads are the most likely to be worth your time as well so that you can do fewer things, but spend a lot more time doing them correctly as well. Um, I still think some kind of dialer, even though I, I don't recommend high volume and dialers are, are built towards high volume, they really are the best way to keep track of your um, your outreach. It's just one of the things BDs have always struggled with before dialer technology was how many emails, how many calls have I made? I've got my notes, some of them in, in Salesforce or, or whatever CRM I'm using, but I don't really know where I'm at and more frequently, two attempts, three attempts got made on a on a campaign with a with a prospect, and they just got dropped and and left behind. So dollars are still very good for that. Although in my world, I don't recommend them for high volume. Right, trying to get a hundred emails out there a day—that's not what we do. Um, you know, obviously, uh, understanding. Um, yeah, what it, well, I already said the marketing side, understanding uh, on the lead scoring, but that's where you can get information from Marketo, you know, or Eloqua, whatever system you're using as well for the interaction with the team. So I think understanding that as well. Um, sales Navigator, absolutely critical in your tech stack so that 
Um, you know, if you have a license to LinkedIn, but you don't have Sales Navigator, I know I am naming names here for that one, but absolutely, absolutely critical. Um, then a good data provider. That's that's the the final one I would say. Um, the time wasted on bad data is just unforgivable. I, I've yet to find the the magic solution to that. I don't know if there is one, but but there are so many vendors out there selling um, expired lists, and bad phone numbers, and bad email addresses. That understanding, you know, what you can trust and what you can't from your data provider is, I think, key because you know if you're if you're going to spend the time to research a uh, research company um, and do your due diligence to reach out and send it to something or somebody who's no longer there, um, you've, you've wasted a lot of time. Sorry, I will add one more thing. Um, if you're really doing research-based personalized outreach, Google um, News Search, just doing as much research as you can through Google. And that's an often forgotten one because it's free to your tech stack, but it's absolutely critical for, um, for figuring out what's going on with the company, so. Nice. Yeah, that's super helpful. Uh, all right, this next uh, set of questions, kind of a rapid fire question that we ask everyone on the podcast. Uh, the first one being, what's one marketing trend you would unsubscribe from? <laughs> uh, mass emailing. Yeah, unpersonalized. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the yeah. I think it, it, if you if you were to compare unsubscribe rates over personalized versus you know generic, you'd, you'd see the difference right there. Uh, speaking of email, is email dead? No, never, never. Um, you need to communicate. It's one of the main channels of communication. It's it's how you communicate internally most of the time. So no, um, I think it's a it's a valuable channel when used appropriately, and you can display very quickly that you're there to help somebody and understand their business problem. Yeah, it, it's it's very valuable. At NAC, we're all about uh, work-life balance. What do you do for fun? <laughs> oh, I, I have I have to give a plug to to my company. Um, can access on that one. We actually have a program here that is uh, the, the last Friday of of every month is actually called a Can Access Day. So we um, we have the last Friday of every month off, and it's truly a day off because the entire company unplugs. Um, so what I do for fun, I, 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 uh, I love the outdoors. So um, I will be on my, uh, my, my side by side in the snow on, on this coming <laughs> last Friday of the month that's coming up this week. So either that awesome. or either that or still playing hockey at my advanced age, um, which has not been available to us since, since uh, the most recent yeah. round of lockdowns. So um, hopefully we'll get back to that soon as well. Right on. That's awesome. Uh, Rob, you've shared a ton of great advice today. Is there anything else that you'd want to share around just sort of career advice that you think might help others? Yeah. Uh, the thing I tell people, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I bet you if you were to go back and find the, the papers that every kid wrote, what they want to be when they grow up, um, none of them would say salespeople, right? I, I can't imagine any kid saying, I want to grow up to be a salesperson. Um, it, it even has a bad reputation in the media, on television and sitcoms, right? There's always a poke at salespeople and, and who they are and, and what they do. Um, the advice I, I give to people when I, when I talk to them earlier in their career is, I don't think you, you could ever select a better career. Um, for a couple of reasons. Ultimately, back to the original commentary about you have an opportunity to help people, truly help people. In And if you're selling business to business specifically, um, in something and problems that they deal with probably eight hours a day, five days a week, if not more, if they're having problems, right? So how meaningful could it be to actually make their work lives easier or more productive? 
or help them get to the next level or get them a raise or, or get them promoted, right? You have the ability to do that as a salesperson. There are not many other roles where you can have that direct of an impact on somebody's career, or personal life, any of that. Um, and the second part of it is the reward. If you are good at this and have that genuine curiosity and can actually have you know, that curiosity turn into a desire to help and, and you have the ability to, to manage those relationships, um, you're in charge. You're absolutely in charge of your ultimate reward here, um, which is, you know, um, you know, most places don't have cap commission anymore. So whatever you want, you can go get it. And what other jobs do you have that in? where you actually have that ability to control your own earnings and your own income. Um, there aren't many. I remember after I started in sales, I went for um, an interview, which was a more administrative type role. It was just, you know, overseeing an administration department, but it was a manager title, right? And that was the attraction to it. And then they told me what the salary was. And I went, okay, and? Um, and I said, what do you mean by and? I'm like, wait. Well, when I do really well, you pay me this extra, you know, that again and more. And they're like, no, this is the this is the salary. And I said, oh, OK. Um, yeah, I'm not interested. Thank you. Um, it's uh, it's just incredibly powerful to be rewarded for um, your expertise in something. Right. Um, and other than sports, you know, I don't know if it really exists to get paid according to your abilities right yeah that's awesome so don't be afraid of it it's uh it's a wonderful career it's a wonderful life and then forget about the stereotypes and the jokes whatever it's uh it's worth it for sure who who is one person uh you admire in the business community and why wow um there are there are there are so many <laughs> so many but it's probably none of the None of the typical, you know, musks and 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 those kinds of guys who you would um, uh, who you would typically pick. Um, I would say most there, there's not one, and I, I'm sorry if that seems like a a non-answer. Um, I've had the ability to work for different CEOs um, in my career who've absolutely inspired me by by their vision and their ability to recognize that people are at the heart of everything um, in, in the business. And I would say there's three people who come to mind right, right away um, in various stages of my career who understood that. So I would say if there's anybody I admire in the business, it's anybody who has that perspective as a CEO, um, who can understand that it's not about the board first it's about the people first so you can go to a board meeting and, and present your results because you knew that all of your people were taken care of and they were all given an environment where they could perform their best and a culture which inspired them to do so um, anybody who provides that type of environment from a c-level um, position they've got my you know admiration my my <laughs> You know, uh, just respect because I, I think that's truly um, the right perspective. And, you know, there's many I, I can think of, Pierce, I think you're one of them um, who absolutely understands that as a C level executive, right? And not that you would ever call yourself that. And I think that's probably even the key, right? I'm a C level executive. Well, really? What's that mean? Um, just somebody who's responsible for a bunch of people and understanding that. So that's a long answer, but. Yeah. It's not your typical Elon Musk answer. I know that, <laughs> but, but the truest that I can get to. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Last one. Uh, who else should we interview on the Unsubscribe podcast? <laughs> oh wow! Um, you know, there's there's a gentleman who's who's uh, um, feedback and advice I've, I've appreciated for my, my entire life. He was the chief operating officer at a company called uh, Learning Tree International, and I, I worked for him there uh, for a while. His name is David Booker. 
Um, he's, uh, he has several enterprises going now. I'm not sure which one is his main focus, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> what he taught me was the importance of math and everything. Um, and it, it was funny. One of the things about David is you could never go to a meeting with David prepared for what he was going to ask. He already knew what you were going to present. Um, but he'd already done the study on that and said, I know what, yeah, I know what they're going to tell me, but I'm going to prepare some questions. Um, that I know are answers they don't have um, to everybody. And it just forced you to leave every meeting thinking and trying to get to his level of understanding of the business and um, truly has been a lifelong inspiration for that. Awesome. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to chat with him. Uh, Rob, this has been amazing. Uh, once again, I, I've learned a lot. I think, you know, we've all learned that sales is really about helping people. And uh, I loved your tip about, you know, doing the opposite of obvious and, and trying to teach people uh, things and get them interested and curious and working with really curious people can help find those ways to, to reach your audience. That's a constant game of cat and mouse. And trying to be different uh, in your methods and your personalization and even the tools that you use to do that. So thank you so much. I think this was super helpful for anyone who is working with business development, is trying to build business development in their organization or improve what they already have. So really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Pierce. And if anybody's listening who doesn't know me, please look me up on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to connect. So I appreciate your time, Pierce. And it's been a pleasure to be involved. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Unsubscribed, a podcast created by Knack. If you enjoyed this episode of Unsubscribed, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any feedback or want to chat, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at marketing underscore 101. Cheers.